afternoon. It's already lunchtime in Florida, and uh, people from Tennessee and from uh, Alabama and other places are not Alabama. They're in another time zone. But, but we're here really in another time zone. I'm ready to eat. I don't know about the rest of you. I, I woke up this morning at Florida time. It was uh, 6.30. That's what, uh, 4.30 here? I did get some sleep last night. I know several asked whether I had some sleep, but I did get some sleep. I thought I'd let you know a little bit about my wife and I. We uh, we were baptized in 1964. We started 10. Actually, we started listening to World of More program in 1962 in Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico. And uh, then we uh, started attending church in July of 63 and baptized in 64. We lived in Houston, Texas for 17 years, and then we moved back to Florida. We we finally got the nerve to go back to where it's nice and warm in the wintertime. I, sometimes I even want to go farther south because I can't take cold weather. And I mentioned my wife this morning, you know, this is, out of all those years, 36 years that we've been coming to the Feast of Tabernacles, this is the coldest feast site I've been in. <laughs> I've been the warmest one. We went to uh, Jamaica, not Jamaica, but uh, Bahamas one year. But uh, we have six children, eight children, six girls and two boys. I forget my boys all the time. We have 19 grandchildren and one on the way. So we're not doing too bad. Our family has really expanded and grown over the years. One lady asked me earlier, I think last night, said, are you related to uh, Gerald Waterhouse? Well, I hope for your sake that I'm not, because I can remember Gerald Waterhouse speaking for four hours, and he could still keep going. <laughs> and I don't think you want me to keep going for four hours. But it's it's interesting. Also, this morning I got up and I looked out to the mountains over here on on the left and the mountains on the right, and I thought, <laughs> when Israel came out of Egypt, and here they were, you know, they were walking down this valley, you know, and they had these mountains here and the mountains here. Uh, it must have been really something for them because there was nowhere for them to go, and they had that army behind them and this lake uh, in front of them. So and that gave me a little bit of feeling how, you know, if we had this big army ready to take us over, how we would feel at that time. Uh, I hope that what I have this morning will be helpful. Uh, I didn't know what Daryl was going to speak on last night. In fact, just like he said, I, I only talked to Daryl on the phone two or three times uh, we've emailed him. My wife's probably talked to him more than I have. Uh, but yet, I've been working on, on this sermon for several months, and uh, I changed it last night somewhat. <laughs> but it's interesting because God brought us here, and he's got a purpose for us to come here. You know, it's God's calling. God chose each one of us and put us here. And, you know, if you turn to Matthew, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, and I know we all know this, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, and it says, for you see your calling, and, and a lot of times, I don't always look at that calling, and, and, I, and I think, Nelson, what are you doing? Uh, I know there, at, uh, just before we came, I was practicing song leading again, but it's been a few, few years, I used to lead songs all the time, and give sermonettes and this but um, my wife said, why don't you look in the mirror and, and practice singing? I did that until I seen myself, so I 
it blew everything. <laughs> it just blew it. <laughs> so as long as I don't have to look in the mirror, it's all right. <laughs> I told I told Jim Skinner. I said, Jim, just just don't heckle me now. <laughs> I do have a relative here too, a, a distant relative, Bill Durkee. His his oldest son took one of my middle daughters, and, and of course we got four grandchildren from that, so that's pretty good. It's a good deal there. But so you see your calling. Do, you, do we really always look out there and see this calling, that we have a calling? It's something that we didn't choose. It's like coming here to this feast site, and I've got the opportunity to let you know. I didn't choose to come to Zion National Park. Um, I had thought originally I'd probably go to Albuquerque, and then uh, things happened, so then we were looking for another place to go, and we got some tapes from uh, a friend of ours from Albuquerque, and it was a message that we had heard back in, you know, I said, in, back in 1962, we heard the world tomorrow the first time. It wasn't Herbert Armstrong that brought me into the Church of God. It was God through a message. It was a calling. God was calling us. It's like he called each one of you. And that calling was a message, a message of repentance and, and a vision of something coming in the future. Well, you know, we came into the church and we, we were really hungering and thirsting for righteousness and we basically thought we saw that calling that we have. But somewhere down the line, uh, it got easier to sit back and, and relax, you know, and so and you say, well, it was the minister's fault. You know, it's always the minister's fault. It can't be my fault. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't have done this to myself. It had to be the minister's fault. But that's not what God said. I am responsible for me. Because God has a calling. He says, do you see your calling, brethren? How that not many um, wise men... So I, how many of you consider yourself wise? How many of you would consider yourself that you have the ability to be president of this country? And it's easy to criticize President Clinton, but we're not presidents of this country. We're not kings at this time, and we're not uh, the heads of uh, Ford Motor Company, or, you know, we could have done better than that. I mean, we certainly wouldn't let all these people die in their cars. And we're not uh, heads of the, uh, the tire company. We just wouldn't have done that. So we're saying God's telling us, you're not the wise people. He goes on to say in verse 27, but God chose what? Who did God choose? And I look out there and I look at myself mainly. That's why I said when I looked in the mirror and I seen myself practicing singing, it just tore me up because God says that I didn't, I chose the foolish things of this earth. So, you know, I said, oh, okay, you're a, you're part of that crew that I'm choosing. You're part of that foolish bunch. And he chose uh, to, to confound those that are wise. Because there are a lot of people, worldly are wise people. But God did not choose those people at this time. It's easy, uh, I, you know, being a deacon, I was made a deacon in 1969. And... Uh, I, it wasn't that I chose to be a deacon. I was one of those people that I believed that you should serve each other. You should. That was the main effort. I I was had been in electronics for a long time. In fact, I served. Uh, I was an electronic technician, a master tech for 22 years. 
gave that up for you to be a, be a beekeeper, to be outside. It's a big switch in my life. But I believe that I knew it all after I was made a deacon, not before. Before I was just to help people. We used to sit, and I, I know the reason we were made deacons, because I took my wife and family, we had four children then, five children, something like that. Uh, we would go to church at 8.30 in the morning. We helped set up the hall, set up the stage, set up the sound. We'd work the sound, all services. We'd go to lunch, come back, work the sound, all the second. My family was there for, this was for about a year and a half. And then we'd tear it down. And the first time that Frank McCready Jr. come up and said, Nelson, you you don't have to be there. So we took off and went to eat, didn't come back for services. And the first time we didn't show up, everything fell apart. So, you know, I was, it was, I was, I was the one that could take care of all this. So it kind of got me the big head. It's like Errol said, this is not what we're to do. We're not to think that it's something very important to do. Because God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the mighty. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after a wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. See, when you preach Christ, it becomes a stumbling block to many people of this world and to the Greeks' foolishness. Uh, when I was coming out here, a couple of people said, well, you're going to go right into uh, Las Vegas, or you're going to go under the, uh, to the uh, blackjack tables or the slot machines and make all this money. I said, no, I don't do those things. You know, that's, that, that's just worthless. I mean, it's wasting time and effort. And they thought, boy, now that is cool. You're going to where? Zion who? <laughs> what's up there? That's, you know, God's up there. That's what's up there. So God has called and selected you. So one of the things, you know, we heard earlier, one of the things that God calls, well, God calls because he has selected you. We know that many people were called, but you're sitting here. And I'm not just singling us out because I know that there are people all over, all over the place that God's working with. But God has called you. Romans 1, we heard last night, that Romans chapter, not 1, Romans chapter 12, Verse 1, we heard this last night. Brethren, or I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If God wanted a dead sacrifice, he would have told us that. I think that, I feel that God gave Israel a dead sacrifice to show them that this is dead. I don't really need dead sacrifices. I need something that's alive something that's vibrant, something I can use. But he gave Israel a dead sacrifice. He wants from you, and he's called you to be a living sacrifice, which is your, uh, which is, is, uh, you're acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable uh, service. That's what your responsibility is, to be that living sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10. I've got to take it easy with my Bibles. I have a new one, but I can't turn the pages quickly. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he has uh, consecrated for you through the veil that is through his flesh. 
You know, Daryl said last night that we should really make a, a concerned effort in prayer, in contacting our Father. And that's what it's saying here, that we should make this concerned effort. It is important that we make a contact with God because he called us and he really wants us. He chose you for that purpose. And I, I, like I said, I didn't choose to come here. I chose to go uh, to another feast site. And the first time I talked to Daryl, I thought I was going someplace else. And Daryl no more hung the phone up and my phone rang and the airline, because we had airline tickets, uh, tickets that you couldn't change. And the man said, uh, there seemed to be a, a little problem or difficulty with your credit card. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, let me get back with you. <laughs> because I talked to Daryl, and he said, we're going we're going to have this place in Zion. I thought, wow, I'm, I, I don't want to miss Zion. I don't want to miss what's going to happen. I want to... Because I heard a message. Not that I'm saying Daryl's something important. He's not. It's like Herbert Armstrong wasn't the important person. It was the message that came through that called each one of us. It's Daryl who God is working through. It's giving a message, a message of hope, a message of change, a message of following God. And to realize that you have to go back and see that this is a calling that you have. And it's a message not the messenger that's important. And we have to really remember that. So when he says that we need to pray, God inspired that. He inspired him to be really fired up to say, hey, get down on your knees and make that relationship. It really is important. Uh, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So something else that we can do while we're here is to to provoke each other, to, to inspire each other to do good works. And part of those good works is to fulfill that searching to see and recognize and understand that this is a special calling, a special calling. I, I think that I look back in my life, I probably should have been dead maybe 10 or 15 different times the things that happened in my life, yet I always came through. And it wasn't something that I did on my own. It's something that God had a purpose in it. And the fact that when I left worldwide, we didn't know where to go. And I found a messenger that was leading me back toward the truth. And we went there. Then there was another messenger. So it became stepping stones until we're here today. This is a stepping stone that God is using. He says, I want you. I think of that sign of... of, of uh, um, the, the, you know, the army man says, I want you. You know, he's got his finger pointed, I want you. God says, he wants me. He has a purpose for me. And so that same thing holds to each one of us. So we're here for to have a true heart, a, a heart that we can inspire each other to have a good heart and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now that's something also that's important. While we're here, we need to really... Take that effort to encourage each other and to be here. Uh, I can remember years past the feast. I, it just blew my mind in, in St. Pete. Because uh, we only attended, I think, during our years with Worldwide, we only attended three feast sites. Most of that was in Big Sandy, and then the second most place was St. Pete. Uh, and then we did go to the Bahamas one year, but 
for the most of the time, we only went to a few places, but there in St. Pete, it just blew my mind. I, uh, I was an usher. I'd go out there, and there was maybe two to 300 people just walking the halls. And I wondered, why do we come to the feast? And Herbert Armstrong would get up there and say, why are you here? You know, Why do we come to the feast? Well, we don't want to, to uh, forsake at any time. I mean, what God is going to deliver to you through the feast this year is very important, or you wouldn't be here. And God called you and singled you out for that. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 13. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So here we are to yield ourselves to God. My wife pointed out this morning, and, and give this a little bit of thought, and it's, it's interesting, when Christ raised Lazarus back to life, what did Lazarus do? He went right into following Christ and doing things. Consider yourself now that you've been brought back to life and you know you only have a short period of time. What are you going to do with that time? I mean, if you had somebody come up and a doctor said, hey, you've got cancer, you've got maybe six months to live, what will you do with that six months? So here you have been given a golden opportunity. You've been given back life. Now what are we going to do with that life? That's the important part. We really have to go out and realize that we've got to put every effort, total effort, into this. And that's why when, when we're asked to pray, you know, I thought about that last night. I said, you know, it's easy over the years, you know, first day you, you really pray and you study and you get in with it and then things seem to, to work their way in as the feast goes on. And you might start, instead of really talking to God, you might say, okay, God, we're, we're going to the service this morning. Open my mind. Let me have, have the knowledge and, and go. And you're on your way. And you, you, you tend to, because we're human, we tend to allow God to become second place. And that, that's just a factor, I guess, of human life. And we cannot do that. We're going to have to think, figure on that we have a short period of time. There's only eight days. We're already partway through the first day. And you know by three days down the line, where is the feast gone? So put the effort into it. I got up this morning and I said to God, and, I just, and this has been probably for, the, for, for a while, I get up and say, Dad, thank you that I have another day. And I thanked him that I could be here at the feast this year. Thank you to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. I know that I am nothing. And, and anything that comes through me, I think what Christ said, uh, I can of myself do nothing. If it, what I do has to be what the Father wants. And I get up and I say, Dad, thank you. You know, whatever comes out, it has to be something to help them it's, and me, because I really need help. I really do. And so that's important to do that, to, to think that you only have a short period of time in your life and make it as much an effort to enjoy that, but also to grow and produce fruit. First Peter 2. 
and this is all, I guess, on, on the topic that we have a calling. First Peter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Yes, we're not priests right now. And we're, but we are a chosen generation, and we're to be, and in God's sight, you are priests in his sight, because what he has, uh, has determined is going to happen is as good as done. So you're a, peculiar, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, or a purchased people. God purchased you through the blood of Christ that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness unto his marvelous light. So you've been brought forth. Remember when I said about Israel? When Israel was brought out of Egypt, you know, God brought them out. He gave marvelous, fantastic miracles all the way through killing the firstborn carried them up to that point where the mountains were on both sides. And look out there and think about it. There's mountains. There's no way you could go up the sides of these mountains. And if there was a mighty army behind you, there was no way you could go backward. And if there was a blockade of a, of a lake in front of you, you couldn't go forward. God brought them through there, took them to Mount Sinai. First thing they did says, don't, God, you know, Moses, don't let God talk to us. You talk to us. Let God talk to you. You talk to us. Within... Less than 40 days at Mount Sinai, what did they do? The people never left Egypt, did they? The first thing they did was to reach back into their past and bring back the darkness that they came from. And sad to say, but it appears that there were many people that have been among us over the years were the same way. They, they never actually left Egypt. They never left the darkness that he said that that he brought us out of. And we need to realize we are in the light right now. Sometimes we want to look out there, though, like I said, and, and look at those people that, laugh, that left. Or somebody might be at, uh, like, the Church of the Great Gods over in Jefferson City, and whereas up there, though, you see, those people, they don't understand. See, they don't understand. Wait, wait a minute. This person doesn't understand three times. And you point that finger at somebody else. The worst part about it is, you have your thumb pointing up at God. You see, we're telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing. So you have to be really careful. I do this. I mean, you know, I have a problem with that. I want to point the finger at it. But uh, God knows what he's doing. He knows your heart. If you'll think back on the talents, he said uh, to one he gave five, and one he gave two, and one he gave one. What God knows is what each person he knows what I'm capable of. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what Daryl's capable of. He knows what my wife's capable of, what Bill Durkee. I can say Bill because we're, we're outlaws or in-laws. But uh, God knows what you can do, and he's only asking you to do what you can possibly do. Now, one person says, but I want to give a sermon, or I want to be in charge of the sound, or I want to do all the song leading, and I can do it better than that person. So, and, and that's the person that sits back there, and he's the one that buries the talent that he has. 
God gives you a talent or two or three or whatever, and what does he want? He knows you can do that, and he wants you to do that, but he wants you to double what you can do. So if he gives you one talent, he knows that's all you... He knows you could actually be capable of doing two. He gives you one, and so you bury the one, and then what do you do? You don't think back of, of Lazarus, do you? Because Lazarus knew he had only a short period of time left. He already knew he had died. But that's the way it is. So it, I jumped ahead a while ago when I talked about Herbert Armstrong. You know, he he was a messenger just like we all have a messenger. And I, you know, I think that there's not a person in here that has been around for years and years that is not capable of giving a sermon or helping someone some way. You just have to come to the point to say, yes, God, yes, Christ, take my life and use it the way you want it. And so he gives you a talent, and then he's saying to you, now take that and run with it and develop it, but you have to rely on him in doing so. In verse 10 of 1 Peter, he says, which in times past were not a people. So when you look back in your life, you are not a group of people. In fact, all of us here, and I only know a few of you, were really not this group, were we? We were not a people. But now are the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we're here because of the mercy of God. So the first point is that I'm trying to, or wanting to get across, let you know that this is a calling, a special calling that God said through Herbert Armstrong, you know, he called many people, but few people were chosen. And today we see that there's only a few people that have been chosen to do this work, to do what he wants done. The second thing we need to do is we need to learn to walk with Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If God wants us, Christ wants us to come to him. And sometimes we... We feel really pressed, really pushed down, but he said, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean on me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. So if we will take and bring our burdens and our cares to Christ, and that's basically what Daryl's saying, just get down there and say, you know, I've got problems, and I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what you're doing here. I want to be a part of, of you, Father. And I need you to guide and direct my mind. And so Christ goes on in verse 34, my yoke is easy. His yoke is really easy. We make it difficult. You know, we heard that in the sermonette. We are the ones that become our worst enemy at times because we want to do something that, that we don't really know about. And, and Christ's burdens are light. So if we just pick up what Christ has to offer, then we'll do all right. In 1 John 5, 
1 John 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God comes, uh, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So if we're going, we have to have our faith. We really have to put faith in Christ. If we're going to walk with Christ, we have to have that kind of faith. Faith of a grain of mustard seed. Faith that you could walk up uh, and a friend is sick and say, let me pray with you. And know in your heart that you have this close relationship with the Father. That when you pray and you say, Father, this person needs your help. Please, on my behalf, because I love you and you've given me your spirit to heal this person. I had one opportunity that that, that happened. The lady was not a part of the church. She was a Catholic. But her she had been meeting with my wife and me and a couple of others on occasions. And she was the, the one uh, the friend of ours from uh, Fort Myers said, can you come over there and anoint her? And I went in the hospital, and they said they don't expect the lady to live through the night. And God just intervened. I mean, gave this lady another year. And to me, it wasn't me. It was the fact that I said, Father, please intervene for their sake. Let them realize. And, you know, I, you know, I told another friend who is a real dear friend. He's not here. I, I would have liked to have him come. And he's got a little bit of difference in the calendar issue. And... He said, well, we've got this friend here in, in Houston that's um, pretty sick, and I think she's mad at me. And I said, well, have you gone to her and said, can I pray with you, and will you please forgive me? See, and, and you can do that. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to be uh, some high job and some muckety-muck. You just have to be like Christ. You have to have the faith that Jesus Christ is in you, that faith of a grain of mustard seed that you could move a mountain. That mountain might be just helping your children. It might be helping a, a friend or a relative or somebody you didn't even know. That's the important part. So it's your faith. If you're going to walk with Christ, you have to have Christ-like faith. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So by walking with Christ, we really need to know how Christ led his life. I thought it was a very interesting. I never had thought about the way the sermonette was brought out. I never thought the fact that Christ just walked on by these people because, you know, a lot of times we're like those apostles. We're out here trying to do God's work on our part and not letting or coming to God and saying, we need your help. And, and I know I'm, I'm the biggest, probably the biggest culprit in that area that I can do things on my own. But to think that Christ actually walked past them because they didn't call out and say, please help us, until they called out for help. See, 
He did. He was going to go on. And I think if we're going to walk with Christ, we better be ready to say, Christ, help me. Help me through a relationship to you, a personal relationship. And I thought that was fabulous in that sermon because it, it just gave me some insight that, you know, maybe I really haven't been in depth prayer. And being here is important. It is a calling. I didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. And do I say, Christ, help me now that I am here. Don't forget me. Don't let me uh, flounder out here until I drown. You know, I need your help. So I thought it was very good. I, it was a tremendous point. So we need to walk with Christ and, and follow his example. The only way you know it is to get your nose into this book. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, He that said he abides in him ought him also even to walk as Christ walked. So we've got to walk as Christ walked his life. Christ never uh, condemned people. That's why he didn't come, you know, we, Christ, uh, the Father told us in, in John 3 and 16, said he didn't send Christ here to condemn the world, but the world through him could be saved. And that's why Christ was sent here. So we need to look, say, at the footprints in the sand. You know, I think there was a, a poem about footprints in the sand. Look at those footprints. Are these footprints yours in front of Christ? Or are they yours beside Christ? Or are they just Christ's footprints? That's, that's the thing to really put in mind. Is Christ carrying you? Because if he's not carrying you, then you're going to fall. It's just obvious. What can we do then? You know, some of the things that we can do. In Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, whom uh, coming hither went into the synagogues of the Jews. And these were more noble than the Thessalonians, that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and search the Scriptures daily. So what can we do? We need to be like the Bereans. It's interesting that over the years, you know, probably in the mid-70s on, I, I a lot of times, because I, you know, I say I'm guilty of this, let the minister do the research. Let the minister do the, the, the sermons. And I take down the notes, and I might look up the scriptures and say, yeah, he's, that's what that scripture said. But there's a flaw. Because one of the responsibilities is that the minister has is to teach the truth and to put the right scriptures in the right place, the right way together. Uh, Isaiah 28 says, that you must put line upon line, here a little and there a little. But if you have a topic and 
a scripture seems like it's going to really fit that topic. So I'll take that scripture out of context and use that. And all you do is say, okay, yeah, that, yeah, that scripture, that, he read the right scripture. But we didn't prove it. Your responsibility then is to take a sermon as if you were in a school or a college and you have a, a, a professor giving you an assignment and he reads something to you. That's your starting point. You take that and search those scriptures. That's why we were told many times, prove all things. Hold fast to the truth. Now, you could take a scripture and you can twist it. And I've seen this happen. And I've heard sermons where they've taken good scriptures using psychology and making you feel guilty because you, you don't see it their way. And if you search it out and find it different, you better not come and tell me about it because I'll put you out of church. I mean, that was the kind of attitude that came across. Well, God expects you to take that knowledge and you also to put line upon line, searching the scriptures and seeing if they fit where they belong. That's why we have this, the, uh, the part here where he said the Bereans are more noble then the Thessalonians, I mean the Thessalonians, yeah, then the Thessalonians. Because the Bereans, at least with, with an open mind, like a sponge, you're sitting there receiving this. You really want this information. You're not up there condemning the person speaking. You're not judging his personality or his motivations. But you're sitting there wanting this. And then you take it home and you spend two or three hours. Uh, I didn't go to college. I, I went to uh, tech trade school, but I know even in trade school, it took many hours outside of class to find out what was going on than was told in the class. So here you are in a classroom situation being educated or, or being uh, handed vital information. Now you have to take that and spend the extra hours, and it might take you all week to go through this and put this together so that you know it because God expects you to be able to teach other people too. And so you have to have that type of an attitude where you're able to go out and teach other people. So in first, in 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture was given by the inspiration of God. All of this. And it does get to me once in a while when somebody comes up with some things and says, well, there are parts of the Bible doesn't fit it. And I say, well, let me have your Bible. And say, okay, you want me to tear out the book of Acts or the book of uh, Exodus, especially around Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, because we want to get rid of that. So we'll just tear that page out. And, and anything else that's going to be condemning this person, because I want to have the good life. So all Scripture, everything here, Christ himself, remember when he was uh, faced with that tremendous task, he had been hungered, and, he had, and it took fasting to become close to the Father so that they had the same mindset, the same thoughts as a physical human being. He had to be in that same plane, same thought as the Father. And when Satan came to him and, and offered him food, 
and uh, when you're hungry for 40 days, you probably would like to have some food. He said you must live by every word of God. And John chapter 1 says that Christ is the word of God, so you need to live by Christ and every word of God. And so that's a, a very aspect that God gives to us those facts of life. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, beginning verse 8. And though we were sons, yet, though he were a son, talking about Christ, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So God allows, a lot of times, God allows you to suffer certain things. And I pointed to this, this person in Houston. I said, you know, a lot of times you think this person's suffering and it's unfair. But God says, even to Christ, he learned obedience through suffering. And probably this person is learning obedience because they have slipped somewhere down the line from, from the relationship, a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And that's what prayer gives us, is contact, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Father. So Christ learned that relationship, and he learned it through the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that are obedient. Talking about us. If we are obedient, we get eternal salvation. It's something that God gives to you. And you can't earn it, but you have to do something. You know, I, I, I think of Christ walking the path with the disciples, and here they're walking down a path, and they see this tree sitting out here just full of leaves, and it looked so fantastic. I mean, it was really beautiful. And he, they were a little hungry, and they said, let's go over there and get something to eat from that tree. And when they got up to the tree, there was nothing on it. It was empty. It was dead internally. And, you know, it just had leaves. It looked good on the outside. We don't are not to be good-looking trees. God wants more than a good-looking tree. He wants a tree that has fruit, that produces fruit, that takes and proves his word. And the way you do that, you know, through proving it, then you can produce fruit. And if someone comes up to you and asks you of the hope that lies within you, you can answer that. But it takes a lot of effort on your part. So, and it goes on here, Paul then, uh, what I wanted to bring out was Paul here in verse 12 for when for a time you ought to be teachers which happened we know that we all lived through that area we were a time uh, 30 and 40 years down the line when we ought to have been able to teach other people we weren't able to do that we have need that one teach us again the principles of the oracles of God. Well, I know, I'm not saying you people, I know that you're here because you didn't come here for milk. You did not come to this seaside. You came because you have been studying and you are here to get meat in due season. And that's the important area. So we're here to be taught and trained. We are in a classroom. To, to gain those things. 
Think back again on the talents. You have a talent. Put that talent to work and and begin producing fruit. And look into your heart. You know, Christ also, through his parables, he showed that uh, it's not what you eat that condemns your body. It's what's in you that comes out. So he's saying that you need to get rid of all that that might be condemning or bad in you uh, and let Christ come out, let Christ flow through you. Uh, Earl Nightingale made a comment. He said, the way you think is the way you are. And that gives you another indication of something that you can do. Look back into your life and just see the way you think. When I said I looked in the the mirror when I was leading songs and it just blew my mind, this is the mirror that we need to look into, this book. We need to be able to see Christ in us. God would like from you a personal one-on-one relationship. He wants us to have a relationship with each other, and that's important. But we can't really have a relationship with each other if we're not having a one-on-one relationship with Christ. And we can't have a one-on-one relationship with Christ unless we have a relationship with each other because in John we're told that if you cannot love a brother or a sister, how can you love me? Here's people that you walk and talk and eat and sleep and play and all this with on a daily basis. If you have controversy with them, how are you ever going to have a relationship with me. So that then was what God wants from you. He wants to have a relationship. So we have a calling. We didn't choose this. You're here because God called you. He selected you and brought you here. We need to learn to walk with Christ. Walk hand in hand with Christ. Let him carry you. But whatever, develop that personal relationship. And we need to know and know that we know what we know. And its I don't care what age we are, who we think we might be, it's still God is in charge. God has designed this. We can't point the finger at anybody. If someone is not here and doesn't understand, it's really God's responsibility. It's because God opens the minds and closes the minds. We know that when we look at uh, the Pharaoh, remember, he was ready to make some changes. And uh, God said, I hardened his heart. So it becomes God's responsibility. Your responsibility is to we develop that relationship. We've been admonished to, uh, and, and urged and, and asked to get on our knees and really ask for this contact, this relationship with God throughout this feast. And and again, I want to emphasize that there's just no way you can uh, make it any harder than, you know, any stronger. That that has to be, that relationship's got to be there. So let's keep it up. I know the feast's going to disappear on us. And uh, I'm already dreading it's already over. (laughs) And it's just starting. (laughs)